Open your Bibles with me to Exodus 33. You've already heard that's where we are in this uh, series. It's been quite a journey for us as we move with the people of Israel out of Exodus and into the wilderness, watching the Lord's redeeming work um, unfold as He uh, delivers and provides, protects His people, uh, calling them His very own. Israel is His treasured possession. He loves them, showing them who He is, showing them who they are to be uh, as His people. Um, we know it's just getting started. It's a long road for the people of Israel in this, uh, what will end up being a 40-year journey in the wilderness. But this journey continues in the true Israel of God today, in the church, been delivered from the clutches of sin, by the shed blood of Christ. And now we're learning, we're growing in obedience uh, to our Savior, our love for Him. So I think if you save for the glory of God, that is a central theme uh, throughout this whole uh, book. But as we go into chapter 33, uh, we don't have a real good feeling on how this is going. Um, the people have had to drink their own idol. We see the consequences of this idolatry are going to be long-lasting in the life of the people. Many have died in their unrepentance. They're, just, they're satisfied with the idols of their own making. And so it wouldn't surprise us as we get to chapter 33 that Moses is probably a little depressed, a little down because of this. And so I want us to look at the chapter in its entirety. We're going to read sections uh, as we go along. Let's begin here, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. No one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. So if this word carries the very power of God, His grace to us, then we need His help in reading and understanding. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray now that You would do as You have promised and work Your word into our hearts and our minds. Teach us, admonish us, encourage us. For You, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Lord, help us to listen. Speak faithfully through your servant. Block out what is unhelpful and confusing. Grow us in grace by this means that you've given to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are a mountaineer, like a true mountaineer, a climber, then you know that the big one, the granddaddy of all climbs, is Everest. And, and this is not you know, your average 14er in Colorado where you get up really early in the morning and you make it to the top and you, you get down before dark. Now, this takes some planning, preparation, acclimation uh, if you're going to climb something like Everest. And even the best climbers that we would know, 
like the real mountaineers, many of them don't make it up uh, this, this mountain for various reasons. Um, but most, who are, most, if not all, who are going to attempt a climb like Everest are going to have a Sherpa with them. Um, the Sherpa, part of the Tibetan people that live in this area, the Himalayas, who are acclimated to this mountainous region. And the Sherpa serve as the guides to go up the mountain. And over the years, reading about this, they've, they've taken on more of a responsibility where they not only lead the expedition, but they're the workhorses on the expedition. They're the ones carrying camp on their backs while everyone else is trying to breathe and follow them. And so you think, you know, while they're setting up, tearing down, they're, they're you know, fixing the ropes. Um, when they decide it's time to move, then it's time to move. You follow the Sherpa. Um, hiker, hikers wake up some morning and the Sherpas are gone. That's a bad sign. That may mean that the expedition is over. Because the ones who know the way, the ones who know when to stop, know when to start can read the mountain, read the weather, they're gone. So, you know, if that were to happen on the mountain, you know, don't panic, but panic. What are you going to do? The trusted guides are gone. And Moses has just heard from the Lord, keep going. Lead the people into the land that I promised. You're going to, to take them all the way, and I will send an angel with you, but I'm not going with you. I cannot be in your midst because then I would have to destroy you in your sin. That's not good news. The one who knows the way, the one who provides for them, who has brought them safely thus far, will go no further with them. So it's very distressing for the people. It could jeopardize this whole expedition for Israel. But what happens if God is not in they're midst. We know that they wanted God with them. They've tried to, to make one that they could see and worship. But now the one true God will not go with them. How are they going to respond to this? And I want us to see a progression in this text. It's really a progression that plays out between the Lord, the people, and Moses in a physical time and space that gives us insight into our own uh, spiritual condition. We're going to use three words to describe this progression. The distance, dialogue, and desire. Seems to be a growing distance between the Lord and His people, but a growing closeness between Moses and the Lord based on, on this conversation, this dialogue that they have, which in turn uh, produces a desire in Moses that, that we find is, is a desire we all have. The core of our being. Um, now, do you ever find that your time in God's Word feels dry, empty? Just don't seem to be getting much out of that. Or your time in prayer is forced, kind of formulaic. I know what I should say, so I need to say it. The fellowship that we have. Sometimes that fellowship feels obligatory, not particularly meaningful. I think it to describe any one of us, right? And at different seasons of life. Maybe you're in that season right now. Life in the church and life as a disciple of Jesus, it, it feels forced or fragile or tenuous. Say, God, where are you? 
What is going on? He feels distant from you. And we know that God hasn't gone anywhere. He's, he's omnipresent. He hasn't left. In fact, we're told that He indwells us. He lives inside the Christian by the Holy Spirit. The Lord has said to His people, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, but there are times when we don't feel very indwelled. Our perception is that God is, God is distant. Say, so why is this? Why do we have this, this feeling? There are a number of reasons which we may feel this way or have this perception. And I want to be careful not to assume too much at this point because if that perception that God is distant or detached or uninterested, if that is just a, a common thing, a regular thing, it may be that His, in fact, His Holy Spirit is in fact absent. Until you acknowledge the sufficiency of Christ and put your faith in His finished work, until He is Savior and Lord of all, He may very well be absent. Sustaining you by His common grace. But you have no real interest in Him. So the words of Jesus are my words to you. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Christ has lived, died, taken His life up again. Lives, present tense, to reconcile you to God. Look to Him in faith and you may find that that distance closes quickly. I may feel closer than you've ever understood. But for those who do look to Christ and, and trust to Him for the life that He gives to us, there are times when you know, our faith is just plain shaky. And our assurance of God's love and care and closeness, that's uncertain. And maybe we've gone a stretch. We haven't spent a lot of time in God's Word. We haven't been able to worship with His people on a regular basis. Be a part of the body of Christ. Body parts don't last very long, detached from the body. Our faith weakens. God seems distant. And it may be just the hard stuff of life. We can acknowledge that. In a world that's just fractured by sin, I think it was Jonathan Edwards, he once said to a grieving friend, it's an awful dispensation of God's providence. His providence may shake us to the core, wondering where he's gone. Another reason that God may feel distant, and I'm convinced this is one of the most prominent ones, is that we're far too easily satisfied. We're content with those idols of our own making. And since we've been made to worship, our, our worship directed at these idols, which are so often God's greatest gifts to us, greatest treasures, comfort, finances, security, education, family, relationships. The one true God gets, gets pushed away, feels distance because our sin has seared our conscience. We sort of walled him off in our hearts. When God feels distant, time, time to take a close look at ourselves, how we're responding to the events in this wilderness that we are on. Um, That's what the people of Israel do in these verses. Was there sin that contributed to this distance? Which led God to say, I, I will not go up among you. Sad irony that, that's really being played out in our lives all the time. They wanted God with them, they make this golden calf, and now the real God won't be among them. So idols take us further away from God 
not closer to him, which is what our hearts desire the most. So we need to take a close thought where our treasure is, what's always on our mind, what's all consuming for us. Show us where we need to repent, return to the Lord. And at this news, the people seem to respond rightly. Their hearts seem to be in the right place by offloading all of this ornamentation. Their actions are showing here a remorse over their sin. I mean, these are the very items, the types of things that were used to make that golden calf. Now they're taking that off and leaving that off as they march on. So there's something about the condition of their hearts, what repentance may look like. Again, how, how we use, what we do with the treasures God gives. It's just a great window into our hearts pulse on our spiritual condition? Is everything at His disposal or just what we think we can do without? Now before we go back to Moses, I'd like to think more about this. But I wonder how often we consider the mercy of God in those times when He seems distant. It was God's mercy here that keeps Him away. As, as we think of God in, his, in time and space, infinite creator God. He, had He drawn near, He would have had to destroy them in their sin. But in those times when God seems distant, even those awful dispensations of His providence, can we trace His mercy? What has He spared us of that we most certainly deserve even in the hardest parts of life? To chew on some more. Hang on to that. But even while there's, where there's a distance between um, the people and the Lord, um, Moses is getting closer. And we're not sure how much time uh, had elapsed uh, here. Uh, Moses had, you know, uh, had been instructed to keep on going, uh, but they're still all encamped here around Mount Sinai. And during this time, we learn that there's a special place that Moses goes to speak with the Lord. So picking up in verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent." So Joshua stands guard, as it were, of this tent of meeting outside the camp, lest anyone or anything come uh, too close. Uh, so it's pretty clear here as we read these verses, this tent that, uh, you know, this is not the tabernacle. Uh, tabernacle's on hold at this point, if it ever happens. We're just not sure. Uh, but this the tabernacle would assume the same name, take on the name of Tent of, of, tent of Meeting uh, in Leviticus. And yet the tabernacle is supposed to be right there in the middle of the people, in the middle of the camp. This tent is outside the camp. The Lord would 
would dwell in the tent, in the tabernacle. Here he's outside. So this is not yet the tabernacle. But his presence is there in this cloud. The people knew this. They would, they would worship at a distance as the cloud rested in front of this tent. And then we read a verse like verse 11 and we're just sort of you know, entranced by the awesomeness of that. Because it's, it's language we, we understand, speaking face-to-face, friendship, we, we, we understand that. Moses had a direct communication with the Lord, just like close friends around a table. You know, as we were coming back from vacation uh, last summer in July, we were on our, on our way back home. We had one more night in a strange bed, and so we stopped in, in St. Louis at a friend's house there. And you know, within a couple of minutes, we were around the table, just kind of picking back up. That, that type of friendship that takes investment it has to be intentional. Um, you know, not, not a lot of friendships like that. But they're special. You can be honest. Moses is growing closer, more comfortable in the Lord's presence through this dialogue. And this is something the Lord has to initiate. He has to make this possible for Moses to converse with him and enjoy his presence. And that in itself is going to help in restoring the relationship uh, between the people and the Lord. The Lord speaks to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, he shares this with his disciples, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So the Lord establishes, invests in this friendship with Moses talking together on a regular basis. And here's a friend that's not going to leave. Here's a friend that's not going to change, not going to abandon the friendship. So let's consider how much the Lord has invested in our friendship with Him. He wants to meet with us. He wants a closer, more intimate relationship with us. And He invites us to to commune. He invites us to hear His voice through the Scriptures, through the time we spend in prayer. How, how are you cultivating this friendship? Are we intentional about the time we spend with the Lord? Do we value this relationship above all others? You know, oftentimes we say we want to cultivate community. We see the importance of this in the life of the church and we want, we want that to happen. But we need to be intentional for that to happen. We need to carve out the space. Sometimes we just have to show up. Because it doesn't just happen. The opposite, in fact, will naturally happen. Our relationship with the Lord, relationship with others, you know, the allures of this world, the, the bullying of the flesh, the whispers of the evil one will strain that relationship. But when we're intentional, when that dialogue is there, and we're listening to our closest friend, and we see what happens. Let's think of the early days in, uh, in our relationship before Katie and I were married, and she's living in Michigan, and I'm out in Colorado. And we would set a time, a certain evenings, which became most evenings, but a certain time that we would call, talk to each other over the phone. And so this, this long-distance dialogue fed a desire. It made that times that we were together all the sweeter. And we wanted to 
to see each other more often. The more time that Moses spends in talking with the Lord, as a man talks to his friend, the more of the Lord he wanted to know. So let's see how this unfolds here. We're up to verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. You have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to them, if you said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And I will take away my hand, you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. You know, back in the old days, we used to have telephones that you'd plug into the wall in your house. I think we still have one in storage. Some of you are old enough and wise enough to still be using these things. But if one person answered in one room, you could answer in another room. It was like Marco Polo, only without the face recognition. But you could hear the other person's conversation. Kind of have this, you know, you could eavesdrop on that. And that's what we get to do right here. We get to eavesdrop on one of these conversations between the Lord at the tent and Moses inside the tent. We get to listen in. The people of Israel don't get to listen in on this. We get to hear the heart of Moses, this real desire growing in the heart of the mediator. Moses is not content with just any angel going with them. He wants the Lord to go with them. He needs the Lord to go with them. Oh, and let's not forget the people who need that just as much. Verse 13. The only thing the Israelites have going for them is their relationship to God, which isn't all that good right now. He has to be there at the very center for this expedition, this exodus to proceed. They're finished. I and mean, we don't know when the Lord told Moses they had found favor in his sight, but they've been talking a lot outside the camp. Moses is persistent. Even after God says, I will be with you and I will give you rest, he wants a deeper assurance. He wants more of God. Almost like the words of God aren't enough for him right now. This very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Okay, Lord, I'm just going to say it. Show me your glory. Please. It's a short prayer, a bold prayer. We have the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. It leaves out any word for 
glory or honor and just keeps the pronoun there. The pronoun of yourself. So, Lord, show me yourself. Show me the real you. This is Moses. Moses has been at the burning bush. Moses has been up the mountain with the elders. He's been at at the top of the mountain speaking with the Lord. The presence of the Lord is outside the tent at the moment, but it wasn't enough. He wants the very essence of who God is and His being. I mean, it's a a deeply rooted human desire. Bold request. J.I. Packer, he reminds us that knowing God, which is a book by the same title, is the main thing for us as creatures. What are we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of God. What is the best thing in life, bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? Knowledge of God. To know God. I think of all of the the time and energy we can spend in in our study and and thinking about God and, and what God has done for us, even thanking Him for what He has done for us and His provision, yet neglect who He is to us. To really know Him, enjoy his presence personally. Show me your glory. It's a sweet prayer of the Christian. Show me your glory is the focus of our prayers. Centered on the kingdom of God, we pray that the Lord would, Lord's will would be done on earth, here and now, as it is in heaven. So I pray that, that the Lord's glory would be known in me. The Lord's glory would be known in each of you. I say, well, what goes into those types of prayers? What does that look like? It may include prayers for humility and love and the assurance of God's love and presence. Prayers for the ability to repent, to believe. And we pray that um, that the Lord would show us His glory. And then we pray that the Lord would show His church His glory. So what does that look like? We pray the Lord would, would draw more to Himself. Pray that the Lord would anoint our worship together. Be pleased in our gatherings. We pray for a clear vision that the Lord would raise up leaders within His church. We pray for generosity, for a sense of of purpose and joy in our community groups. All of those things. We pray for a deeper hunger and thirst after Christ. Are you praying those things? For the church. Lord, show me your glory. Show your church your glory. Show this place. Show this community your glory. So we're praying for justice. We're praying that new churches would start, maybe among the unreached peoples, for cultural renewal through Christians. This is how we pray for the Lord to show us His glory. And that's Moses' desire. The Lord promises to show Moses as much as He can without destroying Him. Now think of this. God is infinite. He is holy. Absolute perfection. Moses, not so much. He's finite. Full of sin. There is so much that, of God and His glory that Moses cannot comprehend. He has no capacity to comprehend. Think of Deuteronomy 5. Moses recalls for the people that even though they heard the Lord's voice, just hearing His voice, they were still alive. Isaiah chapter 6. 
The prophet gets a glimpse into the throne room of God. And he says, woe is me. I'm finished. I've seen the king. God's sovereignty is known. As he says, I I will show you my goodness will pass before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Think how, how inseparable God's sovereignty is from his name. And if those words sound familiar, Paul uses that very language in Romans 9 to show God's sovereign will and magnify his mercy. I mean, this is... This is you think, think of the doctrine of election, which so many bristle at, even within the church. It, it is a truth that is comforting. It's a truth that is full of assurance because God is gracious, because God is mercy, and salvation from beginning to end is dependent upon that mercy. And that's where, that's where it has to be left. It has to be lived there by the church. By grace you have been saved. By grace you are being saved. This is the goodness of God. And so the Lord tells Moses, He's going to put him in the cleft of the rock, cover him, while he passes by. The only time that word is used in the Old Testament is God is going to screen Moses. He's going to lay his hand over him so he doesn't die. This is, this is the hand of protection from the fury of God's holiness. Sometimes we'll sing those words by Augustus Toplady. Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. The Lord covers Moses. We'll see how this actually happens next week. Covers him so he does not die in his sin. We have been covered. Protected by the rock that is Christ. Paul again in Romans chapter 5. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Jesus, our closest friend, has covered us. Our mediator has died for us. The Lord promises to to save His people, to go with them because He is pleased with Moses as their mediator. Our salvation depends on nothing less than the blood of Jesus and the Father's pleasure in our mediator. Our salvation is hidden with Him. We hear in the Gospels that God delights in His Son. In Jesus, our rock, our mediator, we see God's smile, we see His delight. He delights in us because and only because we are hidden with Christ. So do you believe that? That God is pleased with you in Jesus. He knows you more personally than anyone else can, including yourself. Church, that should fill us with a deep, deep gratitude an assurance, whatever the circumstances may be, whatever the storms may look like. He knows us by name. He has just showered us with His mercy. Favor in the Lord Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul's assuring the church. He's making a contrast between those who by God's mercy see the light of the gospel, those who do not, and that this ministry of the gospel is not about Him, but Jesus. He concludes it this way, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, 
has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. To know Jesus, to love Jesus, to see Jesus is to know and love and see the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, Jesus said. Church family, someday and someday soon, we're going to see him face to face. And we can't, we can't do that and live yet. But in our, our glorious resurrected state, we will, we will see him not, not dimly in a mirror, but face to face in all of his glory. See him as we've been made to know him and see him. So until then, our desire, our prayer is, Lord, show us your glory. Father, we do thank you for this word. Thank you that you have shown us your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And as you feed us through your word, as you assure us of your goodness and your grace and your mercy, enlarge our hearts for Christ. We want to know you more, O oh God. Lord, we pray now as we go to this table that our Savior has set before us. That You'd show us again. That You'd preach to our hearts again the great love and mercy You've extended in Jesus. His life for ours. That we are bound together with Christ. We thank You for this in His name. Amen.